Hello and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name's Leanne Butterworth. I'm so glad you're here with me today as we talk about empathy and the professional athlete with multi-Olympic medal winner, multi-world record holder and world championship winner, swimmer, Libby Trickett. I'm so honoured that she has joined me today. We're talking about mental health, expectations and the value of family and friends in what it takes to become a professional athlete at the absolute top of your field. I'm so honoured Libby joined me today. I hope you enjoy this discussion. This is the Empathy Podcast and I'm Leanne Butterworth. Hello everybody and welcome to the Empathy Podcast. My name is Leanne Butterworth. I'm so excited today. I'm talking to the beautiful, talented, amazing Libby Trickett and today we're talking about empathy and the professional athlete. So Hello, Libby. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I've been really looking forward to this one. So have I have. Um, so Libby, everybody knows who you are, but can you please tell me who you are, what you do, and why I'm talking to you about empathy and the professional athlete? So um, a million years ago in another life, I uh, was an elite athlete. I swam for Australia for uh, the better part of a decade. Um, uh, the stats are I went to three Olympic Games, uh, four world championships and one Commonwealth Games and, yeah, won a few medals and, yeah, had the privilege of, I guess, representing my country and getting to do something that I was incredibly passionate about and loved for many years, which is, yeah, something I'm very grateful for. Yeah. So how many medals did you win? <laughs> um, at the Olympics, I won seven. Um, so four gold, one silver, two bronze. Um, and the world champs, I won eight gold wow. um, across four uh, world champs. So, yeah. So, yeah, very, like, I don't know. It's it's so funny to kind of talk about now because it's such a long mm. time. Like it feels like such a long time ago and it almost feels like a different person who did that, but it's so much part of who I am and it's part of what has made me the person that I am today. And mm. yeah, so it's kind of yeah, it's weird. I can't I can't believe I, you know, trained for 35 hours a week in in the water. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the better part of a decade. <laughs> wow. So today's conversation, we're talking about empathy and the professional athlete. And there are a couple of aspects that we're going to talk about. So one is empathy from the public for professional athletes. So we're going to get into mm. a little bit about what that's like. Uh, empathy and mental health within a profession, professional athlete and then mm. empathy within teammates. So you were a swimmer and your last Olympics was twenty. 12? Correct. Is that right? Correct. So yeah. the London Olympics. Correct. So let's talk a bit about what it's actually like to be a professional athlete because, I mean, I go to the gym twice a week. <laughs> I play casual volleyball and I'm sore. Professional all the time. athlete. <laughs> oh, living the dream. Yeah. What's, it, what's it like to be a professional athlete in that space? Um, I loved it. I mean, like I said, I, I was so passionate about it. I feel so 
grateful that I had the opportunity to do something that I loved and was good at. And I worked really hard at it. I, I just, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I, cause you know, when you try and explain to people that you, you know, were swimming up and down a black line <laughs> for up to four hours a day, you know, that's, I mean, that sounds completely crazy, but I don't know. I just had this passion and this drive to achieve something. And I had a path to, to, to go on to do that, to be able to achieve an Australian team to be able to achieve, uh, you know, world championship gold medal or, you know, personal best time or a world record or an Olympic gold medal. I had uh, a clear path and I just, the idea of being able to train my body and use it to perform in a certain way, I just loved I loved that. I loved it so much. And I, you know, I said, it's still one of the things that I miss a lot about swimming, I think, is to be able to set a goal, have a really clear, um, really clear steps to take to try and achieve mm. that goal. Cause the real world, that doesn't happen. Like you can kind of set a goal, but it feels like you're going on <laughs> in a tornado or something trying to get to this particular goal. But uh, and you can go in a thousand different ways, whereas, yeah. you know, with sport, with, in professional sport, it's you have to do hard work, you have to train your body, train your mind and be there on the starting starting blocks. So where did that pressure come? Like do you put pressure on yourself? Like was it did it ever become a negative pressure or was it always a positive of driving towards a goal? Like where did the sense of pressure come from was it external did you have people around you or was it for you purely internal uh it, you have to say there's a mixture of both um particularly in a sport like swimming which is very public um you know every four years everybody's watching the swimming um to see how we go we have a very proud and long tradition and history in swimming of of wonderful achievements um but for me and I think for a lot of elite athletes, um, you know, probably mostly speaking to individual athletes though, um, it's a lot, well, no, probably both. But for me, it was just, it was so much pressure from what I wanted to achieve and what I expected of myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that compounds with, you know, media and general society, but mostly it was just my what I wanted to achieve yeah is there ever a tipping point where that becomes too much where you put too much pressure on yourself and you want too much or you you take it to extremes where it almost hurts your performance or is all pressure all driving (laughs) to a good thing Oh God, no, 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 no. That's terrible. I think it's terrible for everybody if you if you start to get in that mindset it's incredibly detrimental to not only performance but to your mental health and I think that's why you know not just in sport but in general life people burn out it's because they put too much pressure on themselves on the things around them on controlling things being perfectionist in every way possible and you know I certainly was no different to that and there there's been multiple occasions throughout my swimming career where that pressure and expectation that I placed on myself was incredibly detrimental to my performance um I know one of the main ones not the only one but 
probably one of the main ones was in Athens in 2004. It was my first Olympic Games. And I went in, I was 19 years old. It was my second Australian team, but my first Olympics. And I went in as a world record holder into the 100 freestyle. And I don't think I thought it consciously, but now I know that that was how I felt. I expected to win because I was the world record holder and that's what world record holders do. (laughs) They win, right? Um, And, you know, at 19, you're six foot tall and bulletproof. You assume you'll be able to execute what you had trained your body to do. But the reality is, is that the Olympics aren't like that. They're a beast unto themselves, the, the Olympics. It's, you can't know what that feels like until you're there until you're soaking in that environment, until you're soaking in that energy and the pressure expectation mixed with this anticipation of what is about to happen. And, you know, I got swallowed up by that and mm. swallowed up by that pressure that I put on myself to to be an Olympic gold medalist because that's what I that's the pinnacle of my sport. That's all that I ever wanted. Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't just about making an Australian team for me. It was about being the best in the world. And the Olympics is the best mm. competition there is. And instead of um, using my training and using that energy, which you can use in a really positive way, it definitely became crushing for me and ended up swimming a really poor semifinal in the 100 metres freestyle in Athens. And instead of going through to the final, I placed ninth by 0.09 of a second. And wow. Jody Henry, my fellow Australian teammate, um, broke the world record in the following semi-final, and then went on to win the Olympic gold medal in the final the next night. So, yeah, it's um, pressure and expectation can be conducive to wonderful things, but it can also very easily flip over to detrimental. Yeah, how do you then back it up? Because you would have had other events that you had to swim like with teammates and like relays and other events. How do you back up? I'm going to say what crushing disappointment Um, (laughs) because there would have been, like you said, there's expectations of yourself, but you've also got the media and coaches Mm. and whole teams who, and sponsors who have invested in Libby Trickett. How do you back that up with another performance? Well, I mean, it's a good question, Leanne. <laughs> How do you back that up? It's um, you kind of when you're in that high pressure and environment, and for such a short period of time, you have eight days of competition. And I was a multi-event swimmer, so you kind of, on some level, have to compartmentalize those experiences and put it in a box to process later. <laughs> um, because in that environment, if you go deep into that crushing disappointment, you're not going to be able to perform in the next event that you're needing to kind of step up into. But uh, and one of my favourite stories to tell was that after that in- experience in Athens, the exact same experience happened in Beijing four years later. So I was world record holder leading into, or I was world record holder in the 50 and 100 metres freestyle leading into Beijing, actually. And 
I had won the gold medal in the 100 butterfly, which people probably weren't expecting, but I was hoping for. And I was like, yes, this is, this is my, this is going to be my time. Like, I'm just going to win all of these medals and it's going to be the best. Like, it's just going to happen yeah. now. Of course, like, you know, I've won got one gold, so I know how to win gold now. Yeah. It'll um, be a ticket tape parade in my honour. Of course, in my honour. They'll <laughs> put me on a stand. <laughs> Rainbows will come just appear yes. in the sky. It'll be wonderful. And again, that's not how the world works. <laughs> um, and I, be, like I said, I'm a multi-event swimmer and I try to manage my energy expenditure as much as I could in the races that I was able to do so. So when the Hunter Freestyle semi-final came along, I pulled back too much in my race, didn't see a girl over in lane eight and ended up placing fifth in my semi-final rather wow. than second, first or second, that would have been ideal. And I had this just awful wait for the second semi-final and once again, Four years later, after that crushing disappointment, I placed ninth by 0.09 of a second, like the exact same situation that happened in Athens. And, I mean, you can imagine the, the shame spiral that I went, yeah. <laughs> that I descended into after that race. And I was just reeling for a good five, ten minutes until I got to the sort of Australian media contingent because you have you have to be interviewed after something like that of oh. course and when you're, um, you're a puffing sweaty wet mess as well mm, yes put a yeah let's put a microphone in your face yes that sounds great um and yeah I got there and the the Australian liaison media liaison um came up to me and said that you're in the final like the you, you you're you've made it and I uh, you know was very upset I was like why would you tell me that that's awful but it turned out that um, one of the Chinese swimmers got disqualified in her semi-final and I had made it through in lane eight and so you go from this crushing disappointment to this amazing opportunity and if unless you're able to focus your energy and have kindness and empathy for yourself for making a, a mistake but understanding that you have this opportunity to you know do what you wanted to do you know I just wasn't able to put that together the following day I spent way too much time thinking about the wrong things and using my energy for bad rather than good and I wasn't able to go back to my process driven steps that I had kind of worked really hard to create and yeah I I put together literally the worst execution of my 100 meters freestyle that I had ever done in possibly my entire life at you know on the world stage that once in a four-year opportunity to you know put together the race that you have worked towards and dreamt about uh and I came second by 0.04 of a second so so you can understand again like stoked that I got through to the final you know, many years later, stoked that yeah. I got the silver medal, but at the time it was just crushing. And then I had the 50 freestyle to come and usually that was one of my favourite events to race because it was usually a celebration of the meet that was. And It's 50 metres, it doesn't really hurt that much. It's over in it, 20 seconds. It, yeah, it's over in 23 seconds and you are able to just put your head down and go. And it played to all of my strengths as an athlete, you know, the start and finished execution was 
my skill set basically. Yeah. So, and then I ended up walking away with fourth, which second was hard, but fourth was worse. That, that really hurt. I, I still haven't watched that race actually because I don't think I can. I don't, well, I, I probably could, but I just, there's so much emotion still that I feel when I think about that race. So, and then I, I had 15 minutes, I had the men's 1500 metres freestyle to get my head right and refocus. And, you know, the way that I have learned now and I know that is so important is by asking for help. And that's, you know, that's where I just really believe that empathy comes in and all of those girls, all of the girls in the team, so that's Lisa Jones, Emily Seabom and Jessica Shipper had all had a roller coaster ride of an Olympics. So we felt that, we understood each other, we, you know, were in each other's positions, like we we got it and they just literally and metaphorically wrapped their arms around me and you know we were able to come together as a team and you know even though I didn't even get to have a swim down we were able to execute this race where you know the the relay race yeah the four by one medley relay um and yeah we were able to execute this race together and the only way we were able to do that was as a team, you know, any one of us by ourselves would not have been able to do something like that. But together we were strong and, yeah, we were able to all do personal best relay splits and walk away with a gold medal and a world record. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's and that's, amazing. That's my favourite story. Like it's so, so funny because so many years of being an elite athlete and being an individual athlete, you know, it's so much about your individual performance and winning an individual gold medal. But my favourite stories now are that of the relays and getting mm. to share those experiences with three amazing, strong Australian women who have worked their ass off to to get to that point and, yeah, come together and achieve it. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty special. So you've just talked about the value of team mm. in a relay race, which makes perfect sense because you all need to work together and G each other up and get the best of out of each other. And you've talked mm. about the value of support and asking for help and realising that the people around you are in the same boat and that actually giving mm. you strength and power. When it's between competitions, what's the what's the sense of team like then? Like how do you... How do you, because you would think in in my eye from the public is you're all working against each other. It would feel very competitive. A really good question. And I think it's really hard to, in that environment, have deep friendships. Does that make sense? So, like, you know, those, you, you have a loved uh, I loved racing those women like I loved racing them they were incredible athletes I love what that meant for my performance because I was really lucky when I was swimming that we had the best girls in the world in my events literally the best girls in the world so like in 2005 I missed an individual spot for the hunter freestyle because Alice Mills Jody Henry and myself 
were the top three women in the world. We were the fastest three in the world. And I missed out because I came third at nationals that year. So even though I was third in the world, I wasn't going to compete at the world championships. And I knew for my sport, for my swimming, that that was going to make me even better because I was going to work hard just to make the Australian team. And if I made the Australian team, that meant that I was going to be extraordinarily competitive over at the Olympics or World Championships or Commonwealth Games or whatever it was going to be. But having said that, there's so many politics, there's so many things, you know, things at play that it's really difficult to feel like you can connect super closely to those people that you are essentially trying to beat. And especially especially with Jodie and Alice who were training um, in a squad with a coach that was competitive with my coach, they, they had an interesting relationship as well and it felt like we couldn't really connect. As much as we had fun in the marshalling room, as much as, you know, I really respected those those athletes and those women, I didn't feel like I could just, you know, have a text conversation or call up and go for a coffee. But now what I'm finding fascinating as a 36-year-old woman and, you know, very far past my swimming career, I'm so close to those girls. I'm so mm-hmm. close to them as people because not only did we have that respect in the pool because we were all trying to achieve the, these goals, but not many people have those experiences and we have that connection uh, and understanding and the pressure and the commitment to training and, you know, they're some of my favourite people to hang out with and some of my great friends and yeah. I'm so grateful for those relationships now. But it's so funny yeah. at the time it's hard to, yeah, to go deep because you are essentially trying to beat one another. <laughs> yeah. And is it also difficult to, I guess, celebrate them while being sad for yourself or be celebrating yourself and being sad for them? Like how do you hold those two at the same time or do you not pay attention to what other people are doing? I, it's not easy. Um, I know in 2004 I desperately didn't want to go and watch the 100 freestyle final um, mm. after missing the final and Jodie breaking the world record and just I felt like I knew that she was going to win and it, I wasn't angry at her because how can I how can you be angry at that like she's just done incredible performance she's but I'm angry at myself for not giving myself the opportunity to be there because I, I didn't think I was going to win but I knew that I I possibly could have meddled. I felt like I could have meddled that year, um, but I, you know, got overwhelmed. So it's it's having enough self awareness that, as hard as it was going to be to go and watch that final, I needed to go and watch that for one to support my mm. teammate, um, which I think is just the basic amount of respect that you can have <laughs> and do even though you might be incredibly disappointed personally that if if she didn't turn up if i'd you know made the final and she didn't yes. and the roles were reversed i like that would have been incredibly disappointing for me so i just thought that was the basic amount of respect that i needed to show but you know it, it's amazing particularly the following year when i missed out on that individual spot for the world champs 
I was so happy for Alice. You know, obviously I was happy for Jodie, but she had kind of been behind us for a number of years and hadn't had the opportunity to swim an individual spot for a couple of years. And she just, she works her ass off. Like I, she was just one of the hardest trainers I'd ever come across from the moment that I met her all the way through. And I was so happy, like you can have both of those experiences. You can be incredibly happy for someone and incredibly disappointed for yourself. Yeah. And it's understanding how to manage those emotions at the same time. Yeah. So then what's the role of your support networks around you? So you've got, I mean, from the surface we see coaches, but who else is in your world really adding like positivity or support mm. who's in your inner circle? Uh, well, obviously friends and family, they're really important. It, almost more, not not more important, that's not correct, but like, on some level in terms of keeping us grounded and keeping us, you know, as sane human beings, um, friends and family are so important. And uh, I was really lucky that my boyfriend at the time and now husband uh, was also a swimmer. So we were training together for many years. He got the commitment. He got the hard work. He wasn't someone who was wanting to go and party on weekends. So I was happy to... I don't know, we watched so much of the OC <laughs> during our training together, you know, just random stuff like that. Who, you know, he was working towards his goal as an athlete as well. So that was really helpful. But, you know, outside of that, there's there's so many people that go into it. There's physios and massage therapists and sports scientists and sports psychologists. Just the, the list goes on and on and obviously coaches and all of that sort of stuff. But it's just such a all of those people play such an integral role, nutritionists, everyone, like they, they all come together and are working towards what you want to achieve. So it's, yeah. a, it's a funny environment because it's, it's not real life. <laughs> That's not yeah. how the world works. But it's, it's wonderful to have a team behind you who are all working together to achieve these goals. Yeah. And who believe in you. And I guess the friends and family would almost ground you like you said from it not being all about you because by the sound of it that could get I'm gonna say addictive of having it all about you all the time. oh yeah even yeah, even though they were very very grounding for me that there, there's still a sense of that that's why moving into parenthood was so hard because it's not yeah. all about you anymore yeah. You have a squishy little bee yelling at you, telling you what to do and when to do it. So that was really mm. a really difficult transition for me to make. But you know, it, and it's not it's not it's not always super smooth as most relationships aren't. I remember in my first year after school, I had a massive argument with my closest girlfriends because they didn't know what I was doing. All they knew is that. I was no longer spending time with them and I didn't have time to spend with them because I was training all the time. Yeah. And, you know, that that was a really difficult thing for us to navigate as as a friendship because, you know, you'd gone from being at school every day, seeing each other every single day to hardly seeing them mm-hmm. even once a month because I was so tired all of the time. So, yeah, and you kind of have to navigate those conversations and you know, until they started to see 
what I was achieving, it's hard for them to understand what I was working towards because all they could see was that I wasn't spending time with them. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about expectations of self. We've talked about family. Mm. We've talked about team. We've talked about your family and friends, your support networks. Mm. And that all sounds very, very supportive and almost manageable and almost under your control. Like you mm. you know where people stand, you know your team's behind you. What is the implications then when you throw in to the mix press, public? Mm. So after you've, let's say, come second in that race and you are feeling crushing but you've been you're okay with it in a sense but then Mm. you've got the media coming in you've got the media's expectations and their interpretation Mm. and by the sound of it a lack of empathy from their perspective they're not going poor Libby she had a bad day she's Mm. like let the country down like is Mm. what's that well I feel like it's been an interesting um shift that's been happening because uh, I on some level there's so much pressure and expectation from the media because that's they like to put flashy headlines up and you know I remember going into the 2006 Commonwealth Games and they were like trick it or I was Lenten at the time Lenten's potential to win seven gold medals at the Commonwealth Games and I was like I haven't even competed in some of these events in, uh, on an international stage yet. Like how am I now expected to win gold in all of them? <laughs> it feels like a lot. And then on the first night of competition in, in Melbourne in 2006, I got s- silver in the 200 freestyle, which I was stoked with because that was, you know, my first time racing that on the world stage. So I was actually really happy with that performance. But by their expectations on day one of competition, I'd failed. So in some ways, I actually think that was a good experience because I learnt a couple of things. I learnt that you can't take on other people's expectations as your own. You have to simply work with the people around you, know yourself, know what you're trying to achieve, and that's all you can go with because people have no idea what you've been doing they have no idea what's been going on in the training pool. Like for all they know, I could have been injured for six months and not trained at all or, you know, been really sick in the last six weeks leading into competition or whatever it might be. They they just assume that you've trained the house down and you are ready to go and you're not nervous at all and there's not none of this context or texture to your experience as a person and as an athlete and as a human being, let alone everybody else's experiences as athletes and human beings as well so that was a really good experience and understanding of myself in that situation but also you know if the worst was to happen which it did you know I got silver so I was not not able to win seven gold medals at that particular meet and that's okay too you know if you disappoint people um you're not going to perish (laughs) It's not going to be the worst thing in the world. It, you know, it's still hard because as a, as an athlete and as a person who wants to perform at the highest level all of the time, you know, that internal dialogue can be incredibly crushing if you don't reach your expectations. But, you know, you don't tend to take on what other people say 
you know, at, with as much um, emphasis as what you yeah. do, your own internal dialogue. Yeah, gotcha. So what sort of things would you like the public to know about professional athletes? How can we better understand and, I mean, we've talked a lot about helping us to understand, but how can we better support our professional athletes? Because we have such high expectations. Mm. And how can the general public, what do you want them to know? Well, that's a really interesting question, actually. I think, I don't think it's bad to have expectations because the thing is, as athletes, we have our own expectations. You know, I think that probably makes a lot of sense. Like that just happens. And, but it's, it's different from having an expectation. And if they don't reach that, then being disappointed in them, it's, supporting them in those expectations it's supporting in in the reaching those goals and if they don't reach what they've done I think the majority of people would be really kind and understanding and encouraging and wrap their arms around people it's more the media that needs to report it probably in a slightly nicer way um and and understand that you know I think to put it in like for for swimming for example, my my race, I, you get 53 or less seconds every four years to achieve your goal, your lifelong goal that you may have been working towards for one years, four years, 10 years, your entire life. You might have worked your entire life towards this one opportunity. And if you don't get it, if you don't reach that goal, no one is going to be harder on us than ourselves and so people don't need to pile on (laughs) I guess um not that I I feel like that's that shift is starting to happen because I think in 2012 people saw the way that Emily Seabom you know she got silver in the 100 backstroke and she bawled her eyes out and was so disappointed and was so worried about letting people down like no one is harder on ourselves than us So if we can support people, athletes, um, through those huge lofty goals that we have set for ourselves and that we want to represent our country in the best way that we can and achieve things for ourselves and our team and our country as much as we can, if we can just support everyone in that way, then that's, that's wonderful. But I think more importantly than that, supporting athletes tr- through transition into the real world because that's yeah. that's the, that's the real challenge in life. I mean, you know, sport is wonderful, but at the end of the day, it's it's a game, and we're so privileged to be able to do something like that day in and day out. So it's mostly making that transition into the real world that I think needs the most support for a lot of athletes. Yeah, awesome. I think it's also that humanity. And I think yes. that's what I, that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast is bring that humanity to different professions and different experiences so that we can see the human first and the role or the experience second. And I think that's exactly right. And I think everybody experiences challenges and obstacles and disappointments and setbacks and just heartbreaking situations in every facet of their lives regardless of what you do or how you do it and if we can connect on that human level 
then you're going to be more respectful. You're going to be more understanding. You're going to be just generally kinder to, to people. And I think that's how we make, I mean, it sounds really <laughs> lame, but make the world a better place. Let's make the world a better place by showing human connection and that we're all humans and that we're, most of us are just trying to do our best most of the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for today. How are you now? Are you good? Are you well? You're enjoying motherhood? I'm, I am. I'm, I'm great. I feel like I'm on the path that I'm meant to be on, which I haven't oh, felt God. like that for eight years since <laughs> retiring from swimming. And, you know, my girls are, are great. They're complete balls of craziness, but, you know, it's such a joy to to see them grow and develop their personalities I really enjoy that they're pretty stubborn little things uh, I don't know where they get that from no idea. <laughs> um, no idea but they're quirky and they're funny and yeah they're they're a joy to watch grow up so oh, lovely so if people want to find you now I'm going to do the whole talk show thing go Libby Ooh. has a book Libby Ooh, has a book and if you'd you. like to find it it's called Beneath the Surface and it is it's at a online bookstore near you. I, yes, I don't know how correct. to do that. <laughs> best, best way to do it is find it online, I think. I mean, if you can go to your local bookshop and get them to order it or get it in or it might be in there. I don't know. I should know this better. <laughs> I should do a better job of that. But definitely <laughs> online you can find it. <laughs> go go Google, Google Libby Trickett Beneath the Surface. Read her book. It is a beautiful read. Um, Thank you. And... If people want to find you, you are the queen of hashtags on Instagram. What is your <laughs> what is your Instagram handle if people want to find you? Uh, it's at Libby underscore Trickett. Lovely. Libby, you are a pure delight. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, My absolute you pleasure, Every happiness you. and success. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Libby. What a beautiful discussion, and I'm so glad you're doing well now. I really learned a lot. I have to say that being a professional athlete is not something I've ever had to think about, but really taking into account the value of empathy for yourself, for those around you, and from those around you in getting to the top of your field is really, really important. If you'd like to learn more, you can contact me at empathyfirst.com.au or find me on social media empathy first hq and if you'd like to find libby on instagram she's at libby underscore tricket and her book is called beneath the surface which you can find at a bookstore near you thank you so much for joining me today i'll see you next time for the empathy podcast mm-hmm.